doggy. Holy shit. WrestleMania 36 is in the books. What's up, everybody? It is your boy, Hardest Part of the Ring. Back at ya with another apron bump in. By golly, what a weekend. WrestleMania, the wrapped up night two last night, and man, I have thoughts. I have many thoughts about this show, which is why I am recording a podcast. But all in all, if, if you want me to just wrap it up in a bow, WrestleMania was pretty good. Considering, you know, the circumstances that WWE was put in, you know, some say they shouldn't have even had this show at all. Some say it should have been postponed. You know, while I don't necessarily disagree with that, I think, um, you know, they wanted to go through with this show. And I think given the the assets that they had, given the um, the constraints that were put on them, I think they absolutely did almost as good as they could have. Um, there's, a, there's a few things I, I, I tweak here and there, but we'll go ahead and get into that. But all in all, I was, I was pleasantly surprised with the show um, in general. Lots of highs, good amount of lows too, but overall, I mean, they did what they, what they could do in, in the performance center with no audience, limited staff, being able to pull off a WrestleMania is pretty much impossible, but what they did was uh, not too bad. Um, I was kind of expecting more as far as like a set initially. Um, it kind of, I mean, not only the set, but just the atmosphere and everything pretty much felt the same that it did on uh, the Raws and Smackdowns that they've done in these empty arenas. Um, they really didn't tweak much at all. I mean, I think the commentating sounded a bit different. Maybe it's just me. Um, it sounded a little more like um, I'm not an audio engineer by any means, but it sounded like um, it was like kind of m- not muffled, but it was kind of like buffered so that you didn't hear the commentators echoing like in the match. You know what I mean? Like the wrestlers could hear them. I mean, you know, when I was watching Rawls and SmackDowns leading up to the show, it was like you, you almost heard the commentators twice. But I think they like tweaked the audio a little bit to fix that, um, which kind of made it sound like they were off site, which is a little weird. But other other than that, I didn't see really m- many tweaks. I mean, they added the WrestleMania sign on uh, the left side of the screen if you're looking from the hard cam. Other than that, it was pretty much just a normal performance center set. But, you know, that being said, I mean, it's like, getting a high-end robust like crew to like give you like an intricate complex set is virtually impossible right now you know with all the restrictions on how many people could be in a certain space at one time and people that are you know working not working you know it's pretty much impossible to get a get a crew to get that all set up so i guess in that when you look at it like that i probably shouldn't have expected more but who does who cares but yeah with that might as well just get into it. Show opens up with the women's tag team title match. You have Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross facing the Kabuki Warriors. Um, one thing I will say is that these ladies in particular thrived in this environment because, you know, you got to deal with that harsh silence, right? 
and it's up to the performers to kind of fill that silence. And, you know, some of the matches were like very quiet. Like you, all you heard was the grunts from the moves and that was it. And it was kind of awkward, but in this tag title match, man, you have the Kabuki warriors just screeching in their corner. You have Nikki cross being a crazy bitch in her corner. A lot, the noise was filled or the arena was filled with noise during this entire match, which is good. Um, it made it feel less, uh, like I said, less harsh as far as the silence goes. And it made it feel less, uh, less strange, still strange nonetheless, but they did the best that they could with it. Overall, pretty solid match to open the show. Um, better than I would have expected. Honestly, you had one really cool spot where, um, so Nikki cross hit the, uh, or spinning neck breaker on Oscar and she was going for the pin. Right. And then Kyrie saves her with her insane elbow. And then later in the match, Oscar has Nikki Cross in the Oscar lock, but then Alexa Bliss saves her with the twisted bliss from the top rope. So it was kind of a that was kind of a cool little continuity cohesion spots in there that made a really cool storytelling in this match. But over like I said, pretty good match here. Surprised to see new champs crowned. Uh, Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross get the win. Um I was kind of digging the Kabuki Warriors and their whole deal and what they were doing. Um I mean they're Obviously talented singles performers, but as a team, I thought they were, they were kicking ass and they were finally making those tag, those, uh, women's tag belts mean something. But, um, who knows? Who knows what Nikki and Alexa will do? Who knows how that'll unfold? Um, maybe we'll see Asuka and Kyrie split up. Who knows? I think both of them, uh, especially Asuka, I think Asuka is probably the most charismatic. I think she's definitely the most charismatic woman on the roster. Um, definitely one of the most charismatic overall. And I think she kind of flies under the radar. And I think people don't really think about that because she doesn't speak much English. But she doesn't need to, man. I mean, her character gets through just from her mannerisms, just from her um, her body language, from her from her tone when she speaks. I mean, you could, you, you understand who Asuka is, even though you don't understand a fucking word she's saying. But I love the Kabuki Warriors, and I may, maybe they'll... I hope that they see success in the future, whether it's a tag team or singles. But uh, congrats to Cross and Bliss, two-time women's tag team champions. Next match, Elias versus King Corbin. The match, before the match even begins, uh, Elias attacks Corbin in the aisle way and hits him in the back with the guitar. That was pretty much the high point of the match. Um, After that, kind of... The match kind of went flat after that. Um, it was decent, but this didn't need to happen on WrestleMania, in my opinion. Um, Elias gets the win eventually with a roll-up holding the tights, um, basically. So he's still he's a babyface, but he's still kind of a shithead, um, which is fine. Um, I mean, I think both these guys have potential. I just don't know if it's with each other. Um, King Corbin, I'm starting to get a little uh, fatigued with him. I just don't know if he's committing to the King gimmick, you know? I think he's kind of... I think a lot of Corbin is very, you know, generic. He gets people to boo him, but he doesn't get people to tune in to see him lose. So, people say Corbin's a great heel, and he's he's, he's a better heel than a lot of people on the roster, but at the end of the day, man, I just can't muster up the, the effort to care about him. So, I hope to see corbin pivot a little bit as far as his character goes either he needs to either get like more aggressive or he needs to like 
really commit to that king gimmick because right now he's just wearing a crown and a cape and then he takes it off and, and he's just regular baron corbin in a t-shirt so uh elias i feel like uh there's a lot of untapped potential there and i feel like he's being neutered right now i think he thrives as a heel um but i think he's been flip-flopping so much i think he just needs to like stay on one path you know so if baby faces what they want to do with him that that's fine but they need to like uh give him a little bit more direction in my opinion um but we'll see. Solid match, I guess. Not that great, though. Next match, the Raw Women's Championship. The champion, Becky Lynch versus Shayna Baszler. Um, first thing I noticed when uh, Becky came out, she was visibly frustrated with the circumstances. Circumstances being that WrestleMania is in a empty performance center circumstances being that she is the third match on the card just thrown in the middle um i feel like she always wants to be the main event and i think that's a good you know mindset to have but i think kind of made this match suffer because she was noticeably frustrated and i don't know if she uh worked as hard as she would have if this was the main event so that's kind of annoying but but the match overall wasn't bad i mean it was hard hitting uh the girls worked hard but um I don't know. Again, this, this match kind of felt flat. I don't know if it would have been better with a crowd or not. I mean, going into this match, I was like, man, Shayna Baszler, this this is the kind of person, this is the kind of character that will thrive in an arena with no crowd because, you know, she's a fighter. No crowd, the, the, the benefit to having no crowd is it makes these, these matchups feel like fights, like real fights. And Shayna Baszler is somebody who needs to be in an, in an environment where it feels like a real fight. So this whole time I'm thinking, man, Shayna Baszler is really going to benefit from this scenario. But I don't know, man. I don't know if it would have been better or worse with uh, with people there. But Becky ends up getting the win here. Um, the old uh, sleeper into a roll-up finish that we've seen time and time again. I think I th- we just saw it semi-recently with Shayna when uh, she lost the NXT title to Kyrie Sane. It was pretty much the exact same finish. but um, And I just kind of <laughs> kind of like solidified in my mind, like, I mean, how, how much better that Shane and Kyrie match was. You know what I mean? So it's like, I will say, I love the storytelling here in uh, this Baszler and Lynch match because <clears throat> the finish here was very similar to the finish last year with how Lynch pinned Ronda Rousey with a crucifix pin. Basically, the story here is that, you know, you have these, these, these cage fighters coming into her world, these MMA fighters coming into the pro wrestling world, thinking that they're going to just run roughshod on everybody and just demolish everybody in their path. But then Becky Lynch comes in and says, no, no, you're in pro wrestling now. And then she catches them with pro wrestling style pins to get the win out of nowhere, really catching the MMA fighters off guard. So I love that aspect of this match. I feel like the storytelling was great. Um, um, I can't say, I can't say I'm not glad that we don't get another boring ass Shayna Baszler, Tyler Rain, but strange that they dedicated Elimination Chamber to getting her over and then just kind of have her lose in a, what, like a 12 minute match or whatever. Um, but this match was solid. That's pretty much all I got to say about that. Next match, Sami Zayn versus Daniel Bryan for the Intercontinental title. Um, I felt like these two have a lot left in the tank as far as a matchup between these two goes. Um, I mean, I've seen we've I've seen if you haven't seen Daniel or uh, Brian Danielson 
versus El Generico and ROH. I think they, they've wrestled several times. Doesn't matter which one. Just go watch it or PWG or anything or anytime on the Indies. These guys wrestled. They have the potential to create magic in the ring. And, um, but you know, you gotta, you gotta work with what you're given, right? El Generico is now Sami Zayn and Sami Zayn is a chicken shit heel. So of course it's not going to be the same match, but I, I think. I think with what they were given, I think they made every second count. Uh, this match has felt pretty short, but um, if it was a sprint, it was a great sprint. They made, like I said, made every moment count. It was very hard hitting at every second. Um, both guys were talking shit to each other the whole match. You know, you have Brian calling Sammy a joke in the corner as he's like chopping him. You know, you have Sammy being his normal shitty chicken shit self. Um, just hilarious stuff from both guys mixed in with hilarious, like, mixed in with hard hitting, uh, great wrestling in the ring. Um, and a pretty good finish too. You have, uh, Daniel Bryan getting distracted by Shinsuke and Cesaro. And then, um, as he comes off the top rope for a drop kick, Sami Zayn catches him with a haluva kick in midair, which looked really good. Um, and gives Sammy the win. Sammy retains the Intercontinental, Intercontinental Championship, and uh, I'm all for Sammy holding this belt, man. I think uh, it's long overdue for him to get a title reign, and if this is the circumstance that he needs to get it as a, as a, as a heel with his, his cronies in the background, then I'm still for it because Sammy fits that role perfectly, and uh, he makes it his own. And he, like I said, he makes every second count when he's in there. So love love what Sammy Zayn's doing. I love what Dana Bryan is doing. Hopefully, we get to see them fight again. And after that, you have the triple threat ladder match for the SmackDown Tag Team titles. Right off the bat, I will say I am very frustrated that they did not even remotely explain why this is a singles match. I understand that Miz is hurt or he's sick or whatever, but dude, like, mention it. Allude to it once, please. Like, why are they being so weird and, like, fucking sketchy about it? Like, just say, hey, Miz is unable to compete, but the titles still are going to be defended in a singles match. Just say it. Say it once, and then let's get on with it. But they're, why are they being so weird about it? They, they, they did this all throughout the show. I don't know. They made me, it made me, like, irrationally frustrated that they wouldn't say anything. But whatever. I'll try to get over it. Um... Match itself was great. I mean, it was probably the second best, second or third best match of the night. Um, John Morrison versus Jimmy Uso versus Kofi Kingston. Ladder matches are weird with no crowd, man. I mean, it's like these guys are like killing themselves out there. And it to the viewer, it's like, okay, nobody's watching this. Why are they doing it? But regardless, um, some really cool spots in this match. Uh, John Morrison walking the ropes to give Kofi a Spanish fly is probably my personal favorite. But yeah, just a lot of lot of good shit from everybody all around. A lot of hard hitting, a lot of cool spots. One thing I will say about this match that you don't see in all ladder matches is that all three guys during the match were trying to climb the ladder and get the titles, which is a breath of fresh air for modern day ladder matches, man. Because normally you just see a lot of fucking trying to create towers and these weird contraptions with the ladders and then jumping from one ladder to another ladder and then doing a backflip onto another ladder to give a guy a Canadian destroyer off another ladder onto onto two ladders. Like, it's just a lot of nonsense nowadays. 
if if you if you want to know what I'm talking about, go watch the the Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks ladder match from Double or Nothing or whatever AEW pay per view it was. Go watch that match, and that'll tell you what a ladder match should not be. Um, but this match right here, this triple threat match, is pretty damn good, and I loved the finish. Um, you have Jimmy Uso and Kofi like like competing for the titles up there. Both guys are trying to grab it. And then John Morrison just takes both titles, falls off the ladder, but happens to grab both titles with them, giving him and The Miz the win. Miz and Morrison, still your tag team champions. You love to see it. Uh, so, yeah, great finish here. Hopefully, John Morrison and Miz can pick up steam after this because uh, I feel like, I don't know, I feel like they have a lot more potential. I feel like John Morrison has, I, I want to see him as a singles man i feel like he's he's back here now i feel like he deserves his shot in the main event scene so hopefully we get to see that sooner or later and hopefully this miz and morrison thing doesn't go doesn't overstay its welcome if you know what i mean um and after that seth rollins versus kevin owens um another awesome match again i'd put this you know maybe second or third best on the show the build to this match honestly surprised me you know Initially, I was like, man, Seth Rollins versus Kevin Owens. We've seen this match before. I know what they can do. I'm over it. I don't care. But turns out that when the dynamics are reversed, when Seth Rollins is heel and Kevin Owens is babyface, it just becomes so much more engaging to me because Seth Rollins, is he thrives as a heel. He does his best work as a heel, at least on the mic he does. And uh, the build to this match is great. You know, they're fighting in their performance center where they both kind of started. Um, Seth Rollins has a great WrestleMania record, whereas Kevin Owens has pretty much no WrestleMania record. So a lot of the build to this match is really good. Um, and that really translated over to the match itself. Um, as far as the silence in the arena goes, I think Seth utilized it better than pretty much anybody. Um, this whole match is basically Seth getting over his character, getting over how shitty he was, getting over how egotistical he was, and really getting his Monday Night Messiah gimmick over. Um, whether he was talking to the commentators throughout the match, yelling at Kevin Owens throughout the match. You have no, you have no other sounds, man. Make use of it. Talk to your opponent. And a lot of guys did that at WrestleMania, but a lot of people didn't that I think should have. Um, but Seth here did that really, really well. Eventually, uh, Kevin Owens is beaten on Seth Rollins, and then Seth Rollins hits Kevin Owens with a ring bell. I believe it was a ring bell, right? Um, it makes it made. By the way, the ring bell sounds when people were getting hit with it was hilarious. It sounded like uh, like SmackDown versus or like SmackDown. Here comes the paint on PlayStation Two ring bell sound. Ding! People get hit in the head with it, which is really funny. Um, but yeah, Seth gets DQ'd here. But then Kevin Owens says, nah, 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 son, we're going to run it back again. Um, basically challenges him to a no disqualification match. And then Seth sees Kevin Owens, how vulnerable and how hurt he is. So Seth's like, okay, let's do it. So they restart the match. Uh, they start brawling, chairs, ring bells all come into play here. The finish of the match is probably one of the, probably one of the biggest moments of the two nights. Right here is when Kevin Owens climbed to the top of the WrestleMania sign, leaped off it, 
onto Seth Rollins, who was laying on the announce table, gives him an elbow drop. Crazy, crazy spot. Rolls him in the ring, gives him a stunner. One, two, three. Kevin Owens is your winner. Awesome match here from both guys. Great finish. Great build to this match. And uh, looking forward to see where these two guys go from here. And after that, you have the Universal Championship on the line. Goldberg versus Braun Strowman. Man, this all feels like a fucking fever dream. You know, you have you know Goldberg and Roman facing each other for absolutely no reason. You have the build to that match, and then you have Roman dropping out at the last second. Um, don't know why they waited to the last second to drop him out when they knew he was immunocompromised, but nonetheless, Roman drops out. Braun Strowman gets thrown in, and uh, once again, by the way. They didn't even kind of try to explain why Roman wasn't in the match. Like, very frustrating once again, dude. Like, just say, hey, Roman had to drop out due to his inability to compete or whatever. They could have done it a thousand different ways, but to just weirdly avoid it made it seem way more sketchy than it needed to be. Really, really hated that they did that. But as far as the match itself, um, man, I will say this. Goldberg in an empty arena just does not work that that's a guy that feeds off the crowd he feeds off the energy of a huge arena full of people and to have him just walk into the performance center with nobody in the audience just didn't work to me man i think his his luster runs off when there's no people in there and i think um he just did he just doesn't need to be be here in general man i love goldberg man he's one of my favorites of all time dude i but i think you know, they, they had him fucking squash the fuck out of Dolph Ziggler, which was awesome. They should have just left it up there. They didn't need to bring him in for Mania. There's a thousand different avenues they could have gone to have a universal title match without him. I don't think you needed to put the title on him. But they did, and we got this match. And basically, I mean, I we'll get to the Drew and Brock match eventually. But this is basically the same match as that. The two world title matches were basically the exact same. Finisher, finisher, finisher from one guy. Finisher, finisher, finisher from the other guy. And the other guy gets the win. Basically the same match, but I think Drew and Brock did it much better. I don't know. It just felt off, man. The spears felt weird in an empty arena. And then, you know, Braun just hits his power slams out of nowhere. Gets the win. Wins the universal title. Um... I hate to say it, man, it's just too late on Braun, man. We all wanted Braun to win the world title like three or four years ago, but he's run cold at this point, and they've kind of booked themselves into a corner where they really didn't have any other choice because I'm sure Goldberg probably was only contracted to work a certain amount of dates, and they're not going to have him you know, keep the title and fucking defend it at Money in the Bank or whatever, you know what I mean? So weird for Braun to get his big moment off a match with no build. Um, in the performance center, no less, but I guess I'm happy for him. I mean, he seems like a good dude, um, regardless of what people on the internet think, but yeah, I mean, we, you can look at this as a weird thing, right? But you can also look at this as potential. You can look at it as, okay, Braun Strowman, I'm Braun Strowman. I just finally won the world title after countless years of trying to do so, but my moment was ruined because there was nobody in the crowd and it was just a weird atmosphere and the whole arena was fucking weird, right? That can build up resentment in Braun. 
that can make Braun feel pissed off, that can remind Braun of who he used to be. He was the monster that destroyed everybody. He didn't fucking work off catchphrases. He didn't work off of things to get put on t-shirts. He wasn't, you know, fist bumping the kids as he was walking to the ring. He wasn't the silly, goofy fucking Big Show 2.0 that he is now. He used to be a goddamn terrifying monster. He used to be. He's not anymore. But maybe this could be planting the seeds for that character to reemerge. Braun winning this title, you know, he got thrown in there as a replacement. Why wasn't he the first pick? Why wasn't he the one to get put in a match against Goldberg initially? Why does Roman get to skip the line? And I'm sure they're going to allude to that in the future. At least they should. You know, if Goldberg's not in the picture, who else do you have in that universal title picture? It's going to be Braun and Roman. And Broman, or <laughs> Broman, and Braun is pissed that Roman gets all the accolades, that Roman gets all the, the, all the media attention. He gets put in all the big matches. What did Roman do to deserve it? Braun would say, et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully we get heel, monster, Braun Strowman champion. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what the WWE needs to do with Braun Strowman. Enough with the get these hands. Enough. That's a shitty catchphrase. It's stupid. It's not even unique. People have been saying that for years. It doesn't even make sense with his character. Why? Because he happens to have big hands, I guess. There's a thousand different things he could say that is better. But the catch, the whole catchphrase thing, not just with Braun, but with everybody. The burn it down or the suplex it. All that sh- stupid shit just to get put on t-shirts. Enough of it. Congratulations, Braun Strowman. Next match, you have the main event. In my opinion, this is the best match of the weekend. AJ Styles versus The Undertaker. Boneyard match. (laughs) Fucking amazing all around from start to finish. The build to this match was great in itself. Probably the best out of, arguably, maybe other than Randy and Edge. Probably the best build across all the matches on the show. And then the match itself, the execution of the match itself, phenomenal. This is exactly what this match needed to be. Um, I mean, you have no audience in the crowd. The only like drawback from doing like a, a cinematic f- pre-filmed thing like this is that you know you have an audience in the crowd and they're getting like, fuck, we paid tickets to sit here live and we're watching a video anyways. But there's no audience now, so you might as well do shit like this, right? So, loved that they chose to go this route. It was so creative. Um, it was silly and they were just the perfect, perfect way. Um but it did what it needed to do. Both guys looked great here and everybody involved executed everything perfectly. Um, AJ fucking main evented WrestleMania with The Undertaker. If if you told me that like 10 years ago, I'd say you fucking tripping. But man, that is a... I think that's getting lost in a lot of this, but... um. Good shit, good shit. So basically, AJ comes out in a fucking hearse and he pops out of the casket, which is silly and hilarious. Um, Taker rolls in on his bike. American badass Undertaker is back. Fuck, so they start fighting. 
immediately you have, you have music in the background, which, by the way, probably could have been useful in the other matches inside the arena. But I digress. Music in the background is awesome. You know, they got the they're fighting in the goddamn cemetery. Um, both these guys have really good looking working punches. I think it worked really well together. Um, but in the beginning, you know, AJ's just getting his ass kicked, right? He's getting thrown into the car, thrown onto the hood of the car, going through the windshield. Um, this match basically starts out with Undertaker just making AJ his bitch, right? You know, it's funny. <laughs> AJ's getting beat up and then Undertaker's like, yo, where you going, my son? Dude, the, the shit Undertaker was talking during this match is the greatest thing I've ever seen. There's no one more badass than The Undertaker. There was no one cooler than The Undertaker, man. Just the, where you going, boy? Where you going? <laughs> fucking walking after him as AJ's trying to crawl away. And he just fucking mounts him and he starts fucking punching him. Don't you ever talk. You know, he's fucking, don't you ever talk about my wife as he's punching him. Great shit. But then AJ finally gets the upper hand by getting like a handful of dirt and throwing it in Undertaker's eyes and then just fucking kicking him right in the undead penis. Starts working him towards the grave. AJ's goal here is to bury the Undertaker, right? But then Undertaker reverses and punches AJ in the grave. However, cue Western music. OC shows up. Fucking the Dark Order shows up. But don't worry about it. Undertaker shits on all the druids. Um, but then as he's beating up all the fucking cloaked motherfuckers. But as he's, you know, after he shits on all the druids, uh, Carl Anderson and Luke Gallows attack Undertaker from behind. Um, they start really uh, beating down on the Undertaker. They got him on the ground. And uh, next is probably the main takeaway of uh, the entire weekend, in my opinion. Um, and as that is that. Carl Anderson uh, doesn't know what a shovel is. Luke Gallows tells Carl to grab the shovel, and Carl grabs a stick. Not a shovel. No spade. Carl Anderson grabs a stick. So I think the main takeaway here is that Carl Carl Anderson has just been digging holes very slowly his entire life, which is, I think is very unfortunate. And it sounds like a tremendous waste of time on Carl's part. But, um, other than that, I guess the stick worked. Um, they start beating down on the undertaker with it. Um, but the undertaker counters beats Carl and Luke with the stick. And then, um, you know, Luke and Carl are on the ground. Undertaker is about to keep wailing on them. Then AJ comes from behind and hits Undertaker in the back of the head with a fucking headstone. Taker's down. Taker's hurt. Back out. Uh, the pacing of this match is great, dude. Like, <laughs> Undertaker would get knocked down and then they would really, like, let it breathe. You know, they would, they would you know, add in the dialogue when it needed to be added. Uh, they both did great with it. Um... But yeah, the, the overall feel of this match is just great and everything they did. Uh, Undertaker gets up. AJ spears him through a fence. And it's at this point where you're like, you're basically establishing that Undertaker, you know, man, does he have it anymore? Has he lost it? Is he no longer the dead man anymore? Um, Undertaker flips AJ off. But AJ, you know, keeps pounding on him, pulls him to the grave, puts Undertaker in the grave. 
with an actual shovel, not a stick. You know, AJ actually finds a, a shovel with a little deal, a little metal deal on the end of it. Hits Undertaker with it, knocks him into the grave, and then uh, says he uh, he quotes Will Ferrell from Step Brothers with "I'm gonna bury you." So AJ gets onto the conveniently placed tractor with dirt in it, fires it up, and then probably my biggest pop of the whole weekend. Undertaker just appears right behind him. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't expect that, but that made me howl with laughter when he did that. Um, so Undertaker starts beating on AJ, fucking throws him off the tractor. Um, AJ starts, he, he runs away, man. He finds this conveniently placed ladder, climbs the ladder onto the metal roof of the house that was there. Um, Undertaker follows them. They're both up there on the roof. AJ tries to run away, but then Undertaker summons fire from the roof, throws his hands up, and then fire explodes. And then AJ, you know, he panics. He doesn't know what to do. There's Undertaker on one side. There's fire on one side. What do I do? What do I do? And then the OC comes in. The OC comes into the picture. They try to help, but to no avail. Luke gets thrown off the roof. Carl gets tombstoned. The Undertaker goes, it's just you and me now, AJ. So fucking badass. Undertaker basically grabs AJ by the neck, choke slams him off the roof through a set of wooden pallets. Oof. I don't know how they did that. I don't know what precautions they made, but there's no way that didn't hurt at least a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so AJ's dead. Undertaker's yelling at him. Hey, what's my wife's name? Why don't you tell me how old I am, huh? Stay with me, boy. Stay with me. We just getting started. Fucking Undertaker rules, man. Undertaker fucking rules. Um, Taker picks him up, carries him to the grave. Still talking shit all the way there. AJ's apologizing. He's begging now. He's begging not to be buried. Undertaker seems to have a bit of remorse. He says, hey, man, you fought your ass off. You fought your ass off. Gives him a hug. Starts to walk away. Turns around. Boom. Spark kick right into the grave. AJ is dead. AJ is about to be buried. Undertaker gets into the tractor, fires that bad boy up. I guess somebody turned it off at some point. Dumps all the dirt onto AJ. AJ's buried. AJ's dead. Taker gets off the tractor, walks over to the headstone onto the weirdly placed leaves on the tombstone, moves the leaves out of the way. Rest in peace. AJ Styles. <laughs> Fucking beautiful, dude. Beautiful. It was corny in just the right way, but it was entertaining among all else. And that's really all that matters here. Um, you know, <laughs> AJ is his hand sticking up out of the dirt with his glove. Everything about it. It was just silly and fun. Uh, Undertaker, you know, picks up his bandana, gets on his bike. Metallica starts playing. Pyro goes off in the background. Everything you could want and more with this match. Um, awesome job by both guys. Loved every second of it. Nothing on this show matched that, but uh, by golly, they tried. And that brings us to night two of WrestleMania. I think uh, definitely glad they spread this stuff out into two nights because can you imagine... If this was all in one day, 
fuck, you don't have to imagine it because that's what they've been doing the past couple of years and it's goddamn exhausting. So very good call by the WWE to uh, spread this out over two nights. Will they do this in the future? I doubt it. I think, um, I mean, I'd love to see them do it. But um, I don't know, man. I think if they have a huge arena, they're just going to fucking have everything done in one day, in my opinion. I think that's... I think they're stuck in that way, and I think um, I don't think anything's going to make them change how they do things. So, regardless, though, this year was two nights, and uh, I loved it. Uh, as far as night two goes, first match: Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley for the NXT Women's Championship. This is probably one of my favorite matches, uh, definitely of the night, um, of the whole weekend. Really, it was a very good match between these two, uh, to be expected. I think their styles really complemented each other. Charlotte spent most of the match working the leg of Rhea, which is a, a good call because that's really her strength and that's really where she finds uh, all her power and all of her uh, explosiveness. And not to mention uh, the figure four leg lock by Charlotte Flair, which ultimately got the win for her in this match. Charlotte Flair makes Rhea Ripley tap out to the figure four leg lock. Your new women's champion, Charlotte Flair. Uh, Wow. I did not expect that. Um, I mean, Rhea Ripley has probably been the hottest superstar on the whole entire WWE roster lately. Um, with like her War Games win and the Survivor Series win, the title win, the, the title defenses. She was on a roll and it seemed like there was really big things in her future. And I don't know, man. I mean, I've, on one hand, it's like, okay, Charlotte's NXT champion now. I guess she's uh, pretty much a part of NXT at this point. So it's going to give a lot of uh, up-and-coming wrestlers in NXT a rub by getting their chance to go one-on-one with her. And it makes that that ladder match for the number one contendership in NXT all the more important. But it's really weird to see them just kind of... It's not like Rhea was buried or anything. I mean, people are allowed to lose and they can still look strong. Um, But I really thought there's going to be a long title run for Rhea. But Charlotte wins here. New champion. Um, we'll see where it goes from there. I know, I no doubt Rio's gonna bounce back from it. And, um, I'm interested to see how Charlotte and NXT is going to unfold. Um, glad to see it though, because she's pretty much fucking done everything on Raw and SmackDown at this point already. So put her back at NXT and see what, uh, what new matchups lie ahead for her. Love it. Next match Alistair Black versus Bobby Lashley. Uh, so I tweeted. When this match started, I was like, man, maybe by the end of the match, I'll understand why these guys are fighting. And um, the result is, no, I do not understand why these guys are fighting. You know, I talked earlier how they didn't mention why Miz was out of the match. They didn't mention why Roman was out of his match. They didn't even remotely try to conjure up a story between these two guys. Like, come on, man. Really? Try. Fucking try. Do something. Give me a reason to care about this. It was a good match, dude. I mean, both these guys, I think these guys worked pretty well with each other. You know, people forget that Lashley was a MMA star, you know, MMA fighter. Pair that with Aleister Black's kickboxing background. I think the styles worked really well together. And it was a pretty good match. Um, Aleister Black ends up getting the win here. With a black mask. So the end of this match. Lashley's going for the Dominator. Lana gets up on the 
on the ring apron, yells at Lashley, no, 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 spear, spear, spear. Why? Who knows? But Lashley drops Black. She's like, I got you, baby. I'll do that. Or however he talks. Lashley gears up to give Alistair Black the spear, runs in, gets caught with Black Mass, knocked out, one, two, three, that's it. Um, I like the finish, and it seems like this match is pretty much set to lay the groundwork for a uh, eventual breakup between Lashley and Lana. Seems like that was literally the only reason this match took place, and it could have happened last week on Raw, but whatever. Uh, Alistair Black gets the win here. Glad to see him win. Hopefully, uh, man, can you imagine? I mean, spoiler alert, Drew McIntyre won the title later in the show, but can you imagine Alistair Black and Drew McIntyre for the WWE title? Sign me the fuck up. Hopefully, Alistair Black keeps that momentum going. That's basically what I'm saying here. Next match, the match a lot of people probably tuned in to see was Dolph Ziggler versus Otis. Hell yeah, dude. Actually, another really solid match. I'm surprised. Um, it wasn't too long. It was just what it needed to be. So towards the end of the match, you know, Otis is kind of getting the upper hand here. He's about to go for the Caterpillar. And then uh, Sonya Deville gets up on the ring apron, distracts Otis. Dolph gets up, gets behind Otis, and kicks him right in the fucking dick. Fred from behind. It looked, <laughs> that looked, that was a stiff looking low blow, by the way. Really brutal looking. But basically, Otis is down. Dolph is down because he's, he's exhausted and he's beat up. And as Dolph is crawling for the pinfall, Mandy Rose's music hits. Mandy Rose storms to the ring, slaps Sonya Deville, fire and desire no more. Mandy and Sonya get into it. Mandy dispatches of Sonya. Mandy then gets into the ring, low blows Dolph Ziggler. Dolph is down. Dolph is down. Otis hits the caterpillar, hits the elbow drop. One, two, three. Otis is your winner. Otis not only gets the win, but gets Mandy Rose as well. Um, this is just how the story had to end. Uh, Otis and Mandy giving a little little smooch action at the end. Uh, good stuff, man. Good stuff. I love Otis. One of the most entertaining characters that they have right now. And uh, Dolph Ziggler finally got his singles match at WrestleMania. So everybody wins here. Do they not? Do they not? Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Then after that, boy, oh boy. Edge... Versus Randy Orton, last man standing. This is a match that I, I think a lot of people were looking forward to the most on this card, really. Um, the build to this match was great. I think it had the best build out of any other match on the card. Edge's first singles match on his return, facing Randy Orton. These guys, these guys have always had really good chemistry, you know. I don't, when it comes to like Randy Orton and Edge, like, you know, you can't really name a lot of good Randy Orton matches. And also, there aren't that many good Edge matches either. Um, but for whatever reason, when these two get in the ring together, it's like always their chemistry is off the charts. But man, this match went at least 10 minutes too long. You know, when you have a long match like this, especially like a brawl outside of the ring or some sort of hardcore gimmicky kind of match, 
You know, you want to have like these mile markers in the match, right? You want to have, you know, they fight for whatever, six or seven minutes and then this big thing happens and then they fight for five or eight more minutes and then, oh, this big spot happens and then so on and so on. You want to have kind of up and down, up and down these big moments that draw the viewer in to keep them interested. But this match just felt like a, a lot of repetitive shit. Just no, you know, no highs, no lows, just kind of straight line throughout the match. Just punch, 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 punch. You know, give a little, you know, throw you against this wall, throw you against this wall, hit you with a chair, hit you with a pipe. And if that's the match they wanted, I get it. It's realistic and that's what it had to be. But it did not need to be 40 fucking minutes long, dude. (laughs) Like that was insane like that both these guys did good work man i'm not knocking on the on their performers but this match was entirely too long and i lost interest probably 20 minutes into it and then gained it like when they were on top of the semi truck but regardless man guys worked hard that that wasn't the issue but um they could have trimmed off a lot of time here um the end of this match is very good though i will say um fighting on top of that semi truck in the warehouse gave a sense of like danger just it was just like a cool backdrop to their to the end of their little story here um you know edge they're fighting on top of that semi truck and edge gives randy orton a spear randy orton gives edge at rko up there and um ultimately this match ends with uh by the way last man standing matches in general drag on just because of the endless counting you know the match the flow has to stop so the rest can count um, and that just amplified how long this match felt. But either way, this match ends with um, Edge giving Randy Orton a concerto on top of that semi-truck. And man, the emotion in Edge's face and the selling by Randy Orton both worked beautifully here, dude. Um, two top-tier performers um, at the top of their game here. Loved every well. I'm not gonna say I loved every bit of it because there could have been a lot less of it. But they did what they could, and what they did was great. Good match overall, but I think it was neutered by how long it was. Good finish though. Um, and honestly, you know, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to see what Edge does from here. I mean, I mean, um, you know, he 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 had this feud with Orton. Um, it was great shit. The build is great. Um, but I have a feeling he wants to face some, uh, some new faces here. Um, does he go for the WWE title? Does he face someone like Alistair Black? Does he, uh, face Seth Rollins? I mean, there's endless possibilities. So I'm really interested to see where Edge goes from here. Um, and Orton, hopefully he doesn't lose. He seems to like, when he's into something, he, he performs very well, but there's a lot of times where he just doesn't give a shit and he kind of, coasts through so hopefully he doesn't move on to that but um i wouldn't mind i I mean i wouldn't doubt he probably he'll probably take some time off for sure after this but who knows pretty good match overall but like i said too long too long after that you have the raw tag team titles on the line you have the street profits versus uh austin theory and angel garza this is a match that belonged on raw (laughs) you know i mean it was fine it was pretty short. It was pretty unnecessary. Like, I don't know. As I said before, he had so much potential. You could have thrown Humberto and Ray in there um, with with Garza and 
you know, I know Andrade got injured, but they could have had, you know, so much potential with all that Latino, that Latino storyline they had going on. But for some reason, they just felt like the tag team titles needed to be defended against a makeshift team. So, I mean, it was what it was. It was a fine match for what it was, but it was very short and very unnecessary. Street Profits get the win, but who the fuck cares? I guess the highlight of that match was uh, Bianca Belair coming out and attacking Zelina Vega. You know, giving Montez and Bianca, the couple, a little WrestleMania moment. So that was pretty cool. Um, I got, I don't know if this is Bianca getting called up to Raw or what it is, but I wouldn't doubt it. She's done pretty much all she can on NXT at this point. So it would make sense for her to kind of get pulled up to the main roster, but we'll see. We'll see how that unfolds. After that, we have the five-way women's match for the SmackDown women's title. Very good match, I would say. I've been saying for forever that the SmackDown women's division is probably one of the uh, most underrated divisions in wrestling right now. You have a lot of good talent there. Um, and Bailey's probably the, the best champion going right now as far as longevity goes. So other than maybe like Adam Cole or someone, you know, but really good match here. Everybody kind of everybody kind of teams up on Tamina from the get go. She's the wild card. She's the big beast. So you got to get her out immediately. She's the first one eliminated. Um, everyone hits their top rope finisher on her. That was a cool little spot. You had Bailey hit her elbow, then Sasha hit the frog splash, then Lacey hit the moonsault, then Naomi hit the springboard moonsault. That was a cool little spot there. I love how they did that, eliminating eliminating Tamina. Then you have uh, Naomi gets eliminated. Sasha gets eliminated by Lacey Evans, and that was a big spot in the match because the whole story of the match was, hey, can Sasha and Bailey coexist, and what's going to happen if it's just those two at the end? And then... um. Lacey basically hits Sasha with the women's right, pin Sasha, and Bailey has the opportunity to to stop it, but uh, she and she opts to not do that and let Sasha get pinned because I guess she didn't want to confront that possibility of you know what if her and Sasha are the final two. It was really reminiscent of um, the Elimination Chamber match, I believe it was two thousand five at New Year's Revolution with. Um, when you had Triple H and Batista in there, both fighting for the world title. But at this point, Batista was still in evolution. And um, they were all trying to defend Triple H and keep the title on him. But Batista was starting to progress into a uh, his own character and starting to gain momentum on his own as a, as a single start in his own right. So the story of that match is basically like, man, is Batista going to pull the trigger and take out Triple H? But... I think I believe it was Randy Orton ended up RKO and Batista in that elimination chamber match pinned Batista Triple H had the opportunity to stop the pinfall but he didn't so it was, was a little I don't know if that was like they were trying to call back to that match or not or if it was just you know linear thinking but great storytelling there in my opinion and then Sasha ends up coming back into the match at the end when it's just Lacey versus Bailey Sasha comes in gives the backstabber to Lacey gives Bailey the win so they're planting seeds here. I like it. It's a shame they couldn't like culminate a story ending at WrestleMania, but it's still still cool that they can kind of like plant the seeds to uh, begin that story of Sasha and Bailey. I believe SummerSlam is supposed to be in Brooklyn. Am I correct? If that was the case, then fuck, dude. Five year anniversary of the Brooklyn match between Sasha and Bailey at SummerSlam for the women's title. That's money right there, dude. If they don't do that, I I will. Not do anything but complain. But still, come on, they should do it. But yeah, good match. Good match by all these ladies. Um, 
I thought this was uh, much better than a lot of people expected and was probably one of the highlights of uh, of the night. And boy, oh boy, after that, what do we have? The Firefly Funhouse match. So everybody's, you know, I think everybody loved the Boneyard match, right? It was so acclaimed by everybody. Everybody loved it, dude. Just beautifully shot, beautifully produced, and uh, it was very effective in what they were trying to do. And I think people had that match in mind when this Firefly Funhouse match started, right? Because they saw the potential and they saw what they could do with that kind of cinematic matchup, right? And in my opinion, this seemed a little, I don't know. Because like the Boneyard match was like, I still felt like AJ and Undertaker were like battling, you know? I still felt like there was animosity there and I still felt like it was a culmination of a, of a feud that had been building up for weeks. But this Firefly Funhouse match felt more like a collaboration between Cena and Wyatt, if that makes sense. The Boneyard match was a matchup between two people. The Firefly Funhouse was a collaboration between two people. It felt like Wyatt and Cena were working together to create a skit rather than them actually having some sort of struggle against each other. And that's fine and all. I guess it is what it is. We've seen Cena and Wyatt countless times, man. We didn't need to see another like wrestling match between these two. And for what it's worth, man, it was entertaining. For uh, it, There was a lot of cool, um, really fun callbacks uh, to Cena's early career. You know, he, can, he comes out in uh, the uh, the wrestling trunks that he wore in his debut. You know, transitions to his chain gain gimmick, his rapper gimmick. He has all the, um, you know, they, they allude to his bodybuilding past. They allude to... You know, his debut being kind of a uh, a lackluster follow-up to it. Like, the matchup when he challenged Kurt Angle is great, but then the follow-up was kind of a flop. They kind of alluded to that with, you know, Bray Wyatt, like, ducking all his punches and all that. You know, that they, they call back to their previous WrestleMania match six years ago. Both of them, like, in the same attire that they were wearing in that match. And uh, basically call back to, you know, what if Cena did hit Bray with the chair when Bray was calling for it or um, one, the one part that I, I didn't expect, but I loved was the whole NWO deal because it was basically alluding to like all these fans want John Cena to turn heel. right. Cause at the entire time he, his, his entire main event push, man, everyone's like, come on, Cena, turn heel, turn heel. And they basically called that like when uh, Hulk Hogan turned heel and joined the NWO and they basically, uh, put in Bray in the Eric Bischoff role and Cena in the Hulk Hogan role. And basically it was like kind of poking fun at that, how all the fans wanted him to turn heel, which is hilarious and really well done. But ultimately this match ends with the fiend popping out, giving Cena the mandible claw, pinning him one, two, three with, (laughs) yeah, you have the fiend pinning him, but then Bray Wyatt counting the pinfall. Very silly. I, I have, I struggle to even call this a match. Um, but it was very entertaining, just like the Boneyard match. But I, I think I still prefer the Boneyard match overall. But this served the purpose that it was supposed to serve, this Funhouse match. And um, some it got mixed reviews by everybody, but I loved it personally. I thought it was very entertaining. And uh, in, a, in an environment where there's no crowd in the audience, you might as well do silly shit like this. Um, I guess this gives Fiend some retribution for losing the title. Because technically, I guess it's a win over John Cena, and then Cena vanishes after. So is Cena done? There's a lot of questions I have after this match, but 
that's the mark of a good wrestling match. You want the fans to have questions. So good stuff by Cena and Wyatt here. And with that, we have the main event of the weekend. Drew McIntyre versus Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. This match was, uh, I guess, all it needed to be. Um, Like I said earlier, this is very reminiscent of the Braun and Goldberg match. Just a lot better executed. I don't know, man. I I guess I expected a little more from these guys. I mean, this match really was just... um, I mean, I I did not expect like a 20-30 minute classic by any means, but like... I don't know, man. Brock just kind of grabs Drew and gives him a suplex and then four F5s. Then Drew gives him four of his finisher and then gets the win. Like, I feel like they could have uh, built it up a little more within the match. But, you know, I'm not going to complain. The result was what I think a lot of people wanted to see. And that is that Drew McIntyre gave Brock Lesnar a claymore to the jaw Pinned him in the middle of the ring. One, two, three. Drew McIntyre is the WWE champion. Boy, oh boy, that is a long time coming. That man, dude. If you haven't seen the um the 24 special on Drew McIntyre, I suggest giving that a watch because that was very very well produced doc by WWE and really gives you an insight onto the um just how hard Drew worked to get back to this point, man. I mean, he was... I, I remember when he debuted initially, right? I mean, he was a part of, like, a tag team. He was a part of, like, a like a lower card, like, a like an undercard tag team. The tag team was short-lived. I think he was with, like, Garrison Cade or something. But the tag team was short-lived. And then he uh, was repackaged and came back as the chosen one and had a very... Uh, underwhelming run there i remember not liking drew mcintyre at all back then not because he was a heel because he was boring um he seemed like a very cookie cutter you know whatever who gives a shit wrestler um and i think that translated into uh his run and how lackluster it was um he got fired eventually after after a brief stint with 3mb um becoming a pretty much comedy act at that point came back jacked Harry, mean, and uh, really started to resonate with the audience, most importantly. Um, winning the NXT title, moving up to Raw. And there was a big, there was a long period. Once he was on the main roster, he was just like another nameless henchman in a, in a series of factions. You know, he was with Dolph Ziggler, then he was with Dolph and Braun, then he was with Corbin and Lashley. And it was like, at what point does this motherfucker get to stand out on his own? Royal Rumble came, and that time came for Drew to stand on his own. And I fucking loved it. And I loved that Drew was able to culminate that win into a WWE title win here at WrestleMania in the main event against Brock Lesnar. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Um... Great way to end the show, man. With Drew, you know, he's pointing to the camera. He knows there's nobody in that in that arena physically, but he's basically saying that everyone's with him watching at home. So, awesome shit. Glad Drew McIntyre got the win here. And uh, great way to end the weekend.
Thank you.